Eclectors. I hope you're well. It's time to talk about spooky things. It is episode 53 today. Fictional monsters. I just figured since it's going to be fall soon, we should have this conversation because I never talked about them before. I rather like monsters and not from a Hotel Transylvania perspective, although that is kind of the cute way to look at it. But having grown up with horror and liking horror, I just thought tis the season. And monsters often kind of get grouped into little categories and they're just put aside for scary purposes. And that, that's certainly great, but does anybody ever look at where they came from or the backstory or how we got nervous about them in the first place? So in no order or importance, just sort of what came off the top of my uh, my head first, I'd like to address zombies because I'm obsessed with The Walking Dead and very sad that it's uh, even going to come to an end. But zombies really for us and, and American culture made famous by George Romero, which Greg Nicotero, who works for Walking Dead, was his apprentice and learned all those practical effects. And Night of the Living Dead was a 1968 film where they first really debuted as a scary thing. So it's really much older than that, though. Ancient Greeks were credited to be the first people to fear zombies. When people died, they would put heavy rocks on the graves, and the fear was that they would come back to life and they would come get them. So they put heavy rocks in them to keep them down, and therefore the body couldn't move out of the grave. And you just wonder like where that idea came from, because the idea of a zombie, they don't talk, and they're just sort of reanimated, but they, sometimes they're slow and they eat brains or whatever. You see derivations of this, like in uh, World War Z, where they learn to run, and then they also bypass people that are sick. That was kind of an interesting take on it. But gener- generically speaking, you have zombies or corpses that have been brought back to life by whatever reason, or could be an infection or could be something, and um, they just go after people. But all they really know is to go bite them or scratch them, and then that's bad, and you're infected, and then that person gets sick. So it's uh, pretty popular, and obviously now I think, you know, Walking Dead really re-infused and reinvigorated that, but uh, that's always been a, a fear that you have this 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 dead carcass, like, walking after you, coming after you, and that's kind of what makes, makes graveyards scary. Uh, witches. So witches became a thing on the mid-14th century, especially actually in Germany, which had the biggest um, execution rate for witches. Uh, Ireland had the lowest execution rate, fun facts. But it kind of went all around at that point. And it was, um, there was a new book in, in Germany, and you'll have to forgive my pronunciation, but it was The Hammer of Witches. It ended, back then went you know viral for its time. Uh, the Mael, the Mael, oh, excuse me, the Maleus, 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 I'm sorry, Maleus Malif. Farcarum, Malaeus Malafarcarum. I believe it was actually in um, Latin that it was written in. My, my poor uh, pronunciation here, I, I apologize. But that was the hammer of witches. And it went, quote-unquote, viral. Um, and it really spread the mass hysteria of witches, which at that time, if you were redheaded, you were conceived as, you know, you were thought to be a witch. If you were left-handed, you could have been a witch. If you were both, look out. And obviously, there you know were women that they were looking at that if you did uh, what they used to call innocent, if you were into like homeopathy or um, you were considered spiritual, not necessarily religious, and that was scary to them. If you followed um, 
a lot of uh, the ideas of early like paganism in the sense of like worshiping um, nature and the lady on the lake or, you know, uh, the birds and things like that, like people would fear. And it was just a mass hysteria that fed from the fear that made people start to suspect people as witches. And the funny thing is the other side of that is warlocks. So there could be men, if you will, witches. Um, they weren't as often uh, gone after, attacked or suspected, but they also existed too. And the people that got together in what they would call covens oftentimes were people trying to protect themselves because they were simply innocents or following um, like homeopathy or remedies in nature, which is funny because we look for that now and, oh, is it organic? Is it like this kind of vitamin or that? So it's ironic how that's gone full circle. But back then that could get you killed or at least questioned and uh, a lot of times watched. And it's where they get the expression going on a witch hunt, even if they didn't necessarily have any kind of evidence. Maybe you were making soup. Oh, you have a cauldron. You're a witch. Oh, what are you putting in that? You know, Or if it was an herb or something that they hadn't heard of, um, it was so early on and science was at such a, a low point uh, that they would start to suspect people and, and call them witches and they would often kill them and you'd have witch trials. Um, vampires. Love me some vampires. So the most vampires, the idea really stemmed from Bram Stoker in 1897, Dracula, um, you know, Nosferatu, uh, which is funny because there's a current uh, series out that Stephen King's son, Joe Hill, wrote. So keeping it in the family, but uh, that became a TV show. But the idea of, um, you know, Hominus Nocturna, the idea that somebody was like a, a, a nighttime stalker or a nighttime uh, person that would drink blood. Really, Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Dracul, was the person that uh, was a real person. And they just said that, you know, as it came through, um, he was Vlad the Impaler. And there was a lot of blood involved, obviously. And he would often decapitate his... Uh, when he would he would have a lot of victories over people and, and I would say all his victims got put on spikes uh, outside of the uh, wars that he was in and he got known as Vlad the Impaler so blood was flowing and that's where that came from I can't say that we've ever traced him to actually bite someone um, Mercy Brown was also another person that I truly never heard of that was credited as being an early vampire but if you look at it, I mean, it's it's got its own romanticism behind it, whether you're looking at something like Blade, which was kind of a new take on it, where you have like a daywalker, um, or you're looking at it like old school Bram Stoker, where, you know, you had crosses and, and silver and things like that would hurt uh, a vampire, certainly sunlight. Um, and then you could even look at it like Twilight. Oh, we have sparkly vampires and they're vegetarians, you know. So it's kind of neat to look at the mythology behind it. Uh, but it did all kind of start with the idea of Vlad the Impaler, the real person, not necessarily drinking blood, but again, blood flowing from lots of carnage there. And, uh, you know, it's gone all the way through many iterations and Bella Lugosi and uh, Frank Langella and then like, you know, going on, even like in a, on a silly um, twist, you know, we've had things like uh, uh, Love at First Bite and Once Bitten. So as far as historically with books and movies, they're popular. People like vampires. I mean, I joked about Hotel Transylvania, but it is true. There's a lot of um, a lot of love for vampires. You know, True Blood was a huge success. Uh, Vampire Diary is a huge success. These are books and shows, and, and they've gone on from, from teens all the way through adults. So it's just uh, there's something 
attractive about it and the idea that you have this like stalker person that could also possibly change forms or you know and yet there there's there's a seductiveness about it and at the same token we want to hear more stories like it so whether it's true or not you know it's it's it came from a little teeny bit of of truth that's fiction got spun over time and and everybody's all about vampires uh along along the line with those are werewolves so the origin of the werewolf uh, tale is kind of hard to pinpoint, but a lot of people say that it came uh, from the story, the uh, Epic of Gilgamesh, and it also appeared in Greek myths, um, the legend of uh, the the uh, Ly- the Lycaon and the in um, the Nordic lore, the saga of uh, Volsungs. Now, Lupe, uh, Lupo, uh, Lupine, you know, when you hear anything like that, it's wolf related. So I always laugh because I was never a big Harry Potter fan. But I remember when Professor Lupin comes along, the minute they said his name, I didn't even know beans about Harry Potter, never read the books, but I thought, okay, this guy's a werewolf. Like, I just knew that from Latin. Hello, read a book. So if you see that, um, no different than feline, cat, canine, you know, dog, when you look into the etymologies of words, um, you know, lichens, uh, you have like the underworld and the lichens, like that was always the werewolf side. Now, again, you go Twilight, where all of a sudden they become friends when they weren't, they were opposing uh, sides. Werewolves generally hate vampires and vice versa. And the funny thing is, Silver, the Silver Bullet was supposed to kill a uh, werewolf. And then in some uh, ideologies of vampires, the Silver can hurt the vampire as well. So you never really know there, but it's technically it's a Silver was reserved to uh, kill a werewolf in the heart of the, the werewolf. So they are generally like lions and hyenas, but again, Twilight sort of brought them together. But generally, a person was either bitten and they would turn into a werewolf. And that's where you got the bit of the full moon and people acted strangely during full moons. And that was always associated with like tides and different things that were really happening on Earth. So they took that little bit of truth again and spun it into something that wasn't necessarily real, but believable. And that's all you need is a few people to listen to a good storyteller. And then you got yourself a great story. If you ever saw Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman, they speak about that a lot because he's actually going after these different monsters and going after specifically vampires. And it turns out that, you know, spoiler alert, he is uh, a werewolf that was meant to take down Dracula. So who knew? Um, Mummies. What to do with mummies? So mummies are interesting. Uh, Mummification, definitely a real thing. Certainly ancient Egyptians uh, practiced that and they would basically wrap up and bury dead people after removing all of their uh, organs and put them in jars nearby in case they needed them for later. I get the save it for later concept and I understand that they would have the sarcophagi built into these pyramids and a lot of them, uh, we'll talk in another episode about curses and how they were um, disturbed and that could unleash lots of horribleness, but the mummy itself could, you know, come after you theoretically, of course it's uh, body wrapped up and of course the Brendan Fraser movies were really popular to that so much so that Universal in Florida still has the ride which people uh, love and it's just um, that they could get more strength or because they were already technically dead they could build up uh, immunity to things like bullets or okay yes you could cut them I guess apart or cut a limb but they could still keep coming after you so it was difficult to kind of kill something that was already dead was the theory behind it but um a mummy would only come after you generally if you disturbed it. So it wasn't just like mummies running around everywhere, but um, more so in Egyptian practice that you would see that. Again, real story, real truth. Pyramids really happened. They did mummify people, and then they kind of spun it into a fictional thing. 
And that leads us to another fictional thing, Frankenstein. So Mary Shelley wrote the book Frankenstein in 1818. A lot of people don't know she was a woman that did it. A lot of people think a man wrote it. No. Um, And Frankenstein, you know, it's been, again, funny and serious and redone 50 million ways on print, you know, in in books and theater and in movies and short stories. So the idea that you could kind of put a body together from different cadavers and then have it be electrocuted to life by some smart guy, in this case, you know, Dr. Frankenstein, and um, get everybody to gather to, you know, it's alive and, and make this thing walk and have a conscience and be better than the creator was sort of the point, was that sometimes what you make can actually be better than the person who made it, which was generally the situation. He was also a very feared man. So it was a lot of it about um, insecurities and pieces put together and how like that collective makes one big thing that ended up being better and more genuine, even though it wasn't real per se from the beginning, um, kind of self-awareness there. So that was interesting that that was put together that way. Again, you don't really see, uh, Frankenstein, you think of fire and people going after him, but he was just sort of a big clotty dude that, you know, obviously could hurt you just by size and force, but wasn't looking necessarily to hurt you. So kind of a gentle giant. Um, ghosts. So in general, ghosts in general, it could be lots of things. You ghosts, spirits, whatever you want to call it, you know, ghouls, goblins, etc. I'm sure there's all subdivisions of this, but ghosts, when you think of like an apparition or something, yeah, you got the funny, like the ghostbuster side of things. And then you've got, hey, this spirit won't leave whatever place like poltergeist. Generally, it's a person's spirit. And originally, Um, it's from as early as the first century that we start hearing about ghosts, ghost stories. You hear them on ships, you hear them with the mariners that would come in and say different things. And you hear it about, uh, a person's soul that got trapped in a place or got associated with a, an item or an object. And it could be good, bad, or ugly. It could have been somebody didn't know they were dead or like Gettysburg battlefield. We hear about that all the time where people's lives were taken suddenly and they're kind of trapped wandering around. Um, I loved M. Night Shyamalan's, um, six uh cents because you had that you know i see dead people it's kind of a joke but yeah you know the kid had the uh, ability to see that and they don't know they're dead so they're kind of stuck and not able to move on some weren't malicious some were just looking for help um people argue that they may have noises or spirits in their home or in a place or with a thing associated with a an article or an object um and then there's sometimes uh, malicious Uh, entities or spirits and you don't know they're trapped or they can't get out or maybe they were violently taken from this earth and you don't know uh, what their backstory is and sometimes they're looking to hurt other people Um, I've worked in uh, haunted places and I was lucky we had nice ghosts there so they were sort of helpful I mean sometimes you would jump a bit but they weren't ever after uh, I never felt uh, icky or yucky sometimes they get very cold but I never felt any kind of um, malignant thing but Again, that's just uh, my experience, but a lot of different people have uh, had the sense of being watched or like a sense of doom, uh, darkness, like orbs they can't account for. And, you know, who knows? I mean, who's to say what one person sees? You could have the same uh, five people look at the same event and, and have five different stories. So you never know. But ghosts, goblins, ghouls, etc., those kind of things always floating around. Um, the Invisible Man. So this is kind of neat because, again, we're starting from fiction straight up and you have this idea that there's a person and then he can make himself invisible. So not necessarily um, an altered entity, but just a regular person that now has this almost superpower and as a result of it makes that person have the choice of, what's that line from Spider-Man with great uh, power comes great responsibility? They decide to either be good 
and use that for good or be evil and do bad things and be concealed and not share that with people. So that's a fine line that that person has to walk with their conscious, uh, their conscience. And it really comes down to what are you going to choose? Um, obviously, uh, he could sneak around and, and do bad things, and that's sort of what goes on eventually because it's almost too tempting. So that's kind of like a man versus himself situation in terms of conflict, but it, I don't know that I call him in a goblin ghoul situation, but I, I guess technically he's a monster. He gets honorable mention. Um, Godzilla, the fly, the blob, the leprechaun, uh, Krampus, you know, all these different things. To me, they're one big blob. They're like a classic monster monster where it's actually a thing or it's a normal thing that got magnified or morphed. So like, you know, with the fly, it turned into like a huge fly. Some of the old uh, creature feature back in the day before they had the technology and way before um, they had any kind of, uh, you know, uh, CGI stuff going on. They were making plastic things and they were making, uh, you know, different uh, suits and stuff. So, you know, whether it's a big lizard out of the sea and Godzilla came to get you or the blob, like literally was a blob they, where they run out of ideas. They just made a big morphe thing that kept consuming stuff in its way. And you could argue that it's consumerism or, you know, some sort of metaphor for people and overspending or not paying attention to core values. And that may be, I mean, that could have been the underpinnings of why they said it, but all those type of um, true monsters or like real things that got magnified or, or uh, you know, maybe it got uh, uh, nuclear waste on it or something and they got morphed as a result um, are just sort of bad things or things that got put to be bigger or worse because of their circumstance and they sort of consume and crush and destroy in, in, you know, on Moss. Um, and then lastly, I, we have this kind of dream realm, right? So I'm using Freddy as the example, but I wouldn't, I, I, I like the whole idea of Freddy Krueger, but I wouldn't heighten him to his own, um, his own monster uh, worthiness because I couldn't talk about him without talking about somebody like Jason or Michael Myers in the slasher category. But Freddy's different. And I'll just gonna say for a face of a genre, I'm going to say the dream invaders. So the dream invaders are different. And they're probably, in my opinion, the scariest monster of all, because you have, you know, you're vulnerable, you're asleep, you're not aware of what's going on, your subconscious is at work, it's sort of that CPU in the back of your head that's always on, you're not able to defend yourself, fight or be aware that something's happening. And then in your dreams, where you're already wondering, is this real? Am I in the dreamscape? Is this happening? And it could be, you know, happy little collies frolicking through a field. And next thing you know, there's some horrible carnage. You're falling off a cliff or whatever. So I'm going to talk uh, in future episodes about dreams and some things that you can expect from them and, and, and maybe how to decipher a few of them. But one piece that always came out with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and the whole Freddy series that I love that Wes Craven did was that he can get you when you're not looking, when you're not expecting it, and no matter what, you have to sleep. Because if you don't sleep, you're going to get kooky and you're going to not be okay because eventually you do start seeing things hallucinating in reality. So it's like he's got you both ways because at some point you have to fall asleep. And if you don't, you will end up with more trouble physically and mentally than you should. So when you inevitably have to go to sleep, he's there waiting for you, you know, and then you have to decide like, can I wake up? Can I not wake up from this? Do I have that sleep uh, paralysis going on? Is this real? Is this not? And that's like a whole new level of scary because at least if you have a person or a thing standing in front of you, whether you believe it or not, whether people around you see it or not, or believe it or not, it's a thing, it's an entity, it's an apparition and you could kind of point to it and be like, are you seeing this? You know, and you could kind of go after it 
And sometimes it is a situation where you can, you know, shoot it with the bullet or stab it through the heart and stake it or whatever and, you know, bury it or whatever the situation may be. And and that's that. But when you get to dreams, it's hard to fight because you're kind of fighting yourself. So that was, to me, the scariest uh, and, the, and the last one I wanted to save because you've got these these invaders, these like night invaders. And, and you know, you can sleep anytime. You can be in the middle of, of class and fall asleep in the daytime. And it can be just as scary if you had something happen than if you went to sleep on purpose at night and had, you know, some sort of uh, thought there. So just wanted to talk about some uh, popular monsters and things uh, of the lore, if you will, especially coming around uh, the spooky time because Halloween's always a fun holiday and uh you know the fall time of year is always neat for different things like this so i hope you enjoyed it and if you like what you heard check us out at eclecticcollectionpodcast.com or listen to us on your preferred platform i'm terry tenaglia thanks for listening